Marini's Media. Totally Football Show. Today, a roundup as wide-ranging as a shot from Christian Benteke. Man United and the race for fifth, Chelsea Spurs, and VAR goes too far. A bunch of men sitting miles away in a room watching replays and coming to the wrong conclusions. That's our job. All the big stories and more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Very good morning to you. In to round up all the weekend's business and so much more. Got an all-star lineup, really. We've got uh, that Matt Davis-Adams. Hello. Hi, Matt. Lovely to see you. Daniel Story's in from Football 365 and The Eye. Hello there. And also talking some of that tactics, Michael Cox. Hi, James. Nice to see you, Michael. You just returned uh, from the Emirates with Daniel. Yeah, I mean, there were others there as well, but we, we, we watched Arsenal and Everton have... A ding-dong, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, that's exactly the phrase for it. Matt, you've uh, just returned from a, a rabbit hole called Man United Watford. We'll hear more about what you discovered down that very, very shortly. Uh, but uh, it's been an interesting weekend, that real pile-up of, uh, of teams now battling for fifth place. You've got Spurs, Sheffield, United and Wolves all right behind Man United. Burnley a Man City's penalty woes continuing. Liverpool still to play in this round. That'll come Monday evening against West Ham. Well, loads to talk about, so if it's all right with you, listener, let's just get straight into events at the Emirates. 2-2, here they come, and now the header is down and in, and Aubameyang is there again, near the penalty spot, scooping nicely and directing it, bouncing past Pickford into the net, and Arsenal are back in front right at the start of the second half, 3-2. Wow, Arsenal 3, Everton 2. A game that, as Tom Williams put it, was an excellent advert for getting to your seat on time. <laughs> yes. It's an extraordinary beginning. So Calvert-Lewin, what, inside the first minute, puts Everton in front. Yeah, and not just inside the first minute, but from a free kick inside the first minute. I mean, you you know, when there's an attacking free kick, it takes a bit of time to assemble the wall and everyone's, a, you know, the centre-back to shuffle upfield. Um, and then, yeah, it was, a, I mean, an extraordinary finish. I mean, maybe it was just the angle we were watching at. But I couldn't work out how the ball had gone in the goal from uh, Calvert-Lewin's bicycle kick. I think, in the end, he slightly sliced his effort, didn't he? But it was a a fantastic bit of uh, athleticism, I guess, to contort himself in that position. Mm. was a little bit surprised that there wasn't more appeals from Arsenal about a high foot, actually. Right. Um, But yeah, it was a a brilliant goal from, I thought, the most lively player on the pitch, Calvert-Lewin. I mean, probably should have had more than one goal by the end. Possibly should have. Uh, It was a a prelude to an... An evening of interesting defending from from Arsenal, but there were many positives for Arteta. Twelve games into his reign, yeah, it feels like he he until now, perhaps particularly in the first half, Arsenal have played a little bit with a handbrake on and been a little bit safe in possession, and perhaps Mikel Arteta asked them to be a little bit more, and they maybe went too far because it was a bit, as I say, ding dong. It was a bit basketball football, especially in the final twenty minutes with. Arsenal inviting pressure, counter-attacking, Everton all over them for periods and probably should have equalised. So I think he probably wants a little bit more control than that. But still unbeaten in 2020, still with a chance of top five, which we think will mean Champions League football. So, yeah, kind of all good, really. Well, right, Daniel. And we were making the case for Arsenal reaching the Champions League in Thursday's uh, podcast. They they certainly seem to back that up. Aubameyang with another two goals, one of which coming in the first minute of the second half of the of the game. And and how about that young man, Saka? Yeah, I mean, when Kolasinac went down injured, I thought, well, first, I hope he's OK, because it looked like a really nasty collision. 
But second, I thought, oh, good, Saka's going to come on here. And he, I mean, the ovation he got when he came on was a real sense of excitement from the Arsenal fans. And he justified it with that brilliant cross for Nketiah's very fine finish. Mm. I actually think the second half showed probably why he was rested because he looked almost mentally fatigued. I mean, there was a couple of really shocking, like genuinely awful passes. What a weird pass, wasn't there? But, right across the pitch. But there's, you know, that's not to um, to suggest that he's in any way other, anything other than a very, very good player. And, you know, is increasingly being spoken about as maybe making a late run for international recognition ahead of this summer. It, it matters for Arsenal as well, I think, because... Mikel Arteta is wanting to bring through this kind of bright tomorrow, this sustainable future that there will be setbacks, but we're going to move in the right direction. And having young players, you know, 18-year-old assisting 20-year-olds, both academy graduates, that kind of matters because it gets the fans on side. You could tell they chanted Nketiah's name more than any other player. Mm. As Michael says, when, when Saka came on, there was this huge ovation for him. So that kind of thing matters. It really does make a difference. It is different than Kalasnach assisting even Aubameyang, who's probably their best player and I think as well Arsenal are playing quite a specific system and I think it it says a lot about Arteta's work on the training ground that a couple of the players who are not established players really understand the system know which runs to make know which positions to be in you know combine very well I think actually one of the most promising displays Arsenal have produced under Arteta was away at Bournemouth in the cup where it was a very heavily rotated side but the players all just really understood their responsibilities and you know this isn't a manager who is just kind of living off the fact that he's got some very talented players I think he's actually adding more to the team. Unlike some people perhaps. Uh, Bukayo Saka is the first teenager to reach double figures for assists in a single season with Arsenal since Cesc Fabregas. He's up to 10 now, Mm. which has blown uh, my mind. A little bit of fatigue there towards the end for Arsenal, but understandable given that this was effectively the third game in a week following the 1-0 win away at Olympiacos itself. A very respectable result. You were talking about ovations when Saka came on. Uh, Andre Gomez didn't get much of a reaction when he came on. Uh, certainly from the away fans, but I kind of thought that this would be a kind of whole ground together, right. you know, because it was such a horrible injury. And for him to return so quickly is remarkable, really. So I was just really pleased to see him come on. But I mean, I'm not criticising Arsenal fans. They obviously don't care as much as Everton fans, but I thought everyone would be a bit more pleased with him. Yeah, I think everyone was pretty cheered up by any 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 look good. I mean, not desperately mobile, but uh, could certainly ping a ball around. Yeah, got a nice yellow card as well for, yeah. for pretty much nothing late on. I think he probably didn't help his cause in terms of ovations by coming back so quickly. You know, if he'd done the decent thing and had a, <laughs> had a full year out, then people would have felt properly sorry for him. Right. Any uh, conclusions from Carlo Ancelotti's point of view about Everton's performance, Daniel? No, I think they have they have got better, but they're desperately lacking mobility midfield. Fabian Delph and Morgan Schneidlin might have been good players in the past, but they are not a, a central midfield pairing for the Premier League, especially against a, an Arsenal team where Arteta seems to have given Aubameyang licence to roam at will and pick the ball up deep and they just don't look able or mobile enough to stop it. I'm surprised he didn't play Tom Davies, I have to say, because playing those two and Sigurdsson, there's not an awful lot of movement there. Yeah, Sigurdsson's a funny player. I really can't see him fitting into this side. I think either you have to build the side around him and I'm not sure it's really worthwhile doing that if you're a top half side or you can't really find a place for him and it's certainly looking like the latter at the moment. One positive thing to say for Everton, was the movement and the interplay of the front two is really good. I mean, there's not that many teams that play two up front in a 4-4-2, and you really need to make sure they're on the uh, right wavelength if you're going to do it. But, I mean, every time Richarlison makes a run down the left, Calvert-Lewin's making the right run, every time one of them heads towards goal, the other seems to be there to get a rebound. They probably should have combined for 
you know, a third goal for Everton. And, you know, I think on the balance of play and equaliser would have been fair. But Calvert-Lewin in particular under Ancelotti has been outstanding. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, as it is, Everton languishing down there in, in 11th place, a whole point behind Arsenal, who are themselves now just uh, four points off, as you say, fifth and possibly the Champions League. While all this was going on, Matt, you were staring at Man United Watford. What did you see? Uh, I saw a, a game of two halves for me, Clive. Mm. Um, Watford, pretty good in the first half. They didn't have as many chances as United, but they had a, a far better quality of chances. Dini and Decore, in particular, might both look back and think that they, they should have scored. But after that, Juan Sebastian Scholes just... <laughs> ran the show um, Bruno Fernandes won a penalty about five minutes before half time Foster came out clipped him uh, and he and he did a kind of Jorginho without the hop skip but the little jump before he put it in um, and then second half he was just absolutely fabulous it was really really eye catching display from him um, Watford had a goal ruled out for handball corner came in um, Craig Dawson kind of moved his shoulder in an, in an unusual way toward the ball ricocheted off the post Deanley put it in does the full celebration and, and then it gets called back and I have to say it looked like it was it was rightly called back uh, and it was shortly after that that, that Martial made it too again Fernandez set that one up really nice finish from Martial after Foster saved his first shot he kind of dinked it over him on the, on the follow up and then my favourite goal maybe my favourite goal of the weekend actually from Mason Greenwood to cap it off he was playing right in a, in a 4-2-3-1 so quite interesting they switched the formation that had worked so well Right. against Chelsea on Monday night and, and Greenwood picking it up in his own half leaving Capu on the floor swapping passes with Fernandez, then really thumping it into the top corner and then just to cap it off going down with cramp as he celebrated <laughs> which was a lovely touch <laughs> what, what, what was your favourite goal of the weekend Daniel? Uh, other than uh, Southampton second against Aston Villa, which right. is the right answer, but that, that was a lovely finish. It was a uh, it was a Skulls esque finish, I think, from Greenwood in that he sort of he just lashed through the ball. Mm. I, d- I have to say, Michael and I were talking about this before. I don't think he reminds me any little bit like Skulls and Veron Fernandez. He looks like a an informed version of Paul Pogba that Rame. protects the ball, drives forward and kind of runs the, or dictates the tempo of midfield. Has that swagger about him that, that Pogba on his best day does in that he wants to be the centre of attention and, and run the game and he definitely did this one. So Monday they had that 2-0 win at Stamford Bridge. Now they have a 3-0 win at home to Watford. The first time they've scored goals at Old Trafford for a while. Has Fernandes fixed Man United, Matt? No, he hasn't, but he's made a really big difference to them. Definitely. I mean, there's, there's still weaknesses in pretty much every area of the team you can name. But as much as it, as it is about Bruno Fernandes, the player, you just get the feeling it was the fact that they got somebody new in in January, whereas most of the teams around them didn't. Who, but also somebody who could immediately affect the game. He, his numbers for sporting this season were pretty incredible. Mm. So it was always likely he was going to hit the ground running. But kind of more broadly, does make you think that actually Man United as as derided as they are for the the structure of the club their transfer business over the last year 18 months has actually been pretty good on the whole I think and what, he looks like another Maguire. yeah yeah you know even Daniel James has faded right. a little bit but he looks like he'd be a good player for the future Wan-Bissaka I mean watching him live at Chelsea on Monday going forward he was he was really really exceptional and yeah Fernandez not ridiculous money either by modern standards mm-hmm. the question I suppose is whether as has happened for the last half decade Manchester United managed to drag those signings down to their level rather than the signings continuing the form of the early weeks where they're dragging the club forward because Fernandez looks like he's got that personality. I think we probably would have said the same about Paul Pogba and there are complicating factors in that one. But if 
he's a player for the now. You know, he's he's not 21 years old. He's 25. He's ready to do it from minute one at the club. And yeah, there's no reason why they can't get in the top five, as we keep saying, with him. United are at home to Bruges in the Europa League on Thursday after that 1-1 draw in Belgium. A slightly less whelming performance from Man United that night, but they have their away goal and must be seen as strong favourites to go through. Uh, as for Watford, they host Liverpool on Saturday. They are just a point from safety, depending on what West Ham do uh, against uh, Liverpool on Monday night. And they are now five Premier League games without a win, Matt. Yeah, and, and the last game that they won was that 3-0 away at Bournemouth on the 12th of January. And at that point, the, the narrative had kind of shifted to, well, Watford are out of it, so Bournemouth are, are, are really in trouble and, and Nigel Pearson's done a brilliant job. And that draw at Brighton the other week feels like a, a damaging one for them. All their, all their other defeats... They've all been by the old goal, so it's not like they're getting heavily beaten or anything, but they just, as I say, they had chances today and were ponderous in front of goal. And, and right. you know, they're kind of bringing Danny Welbeck on, who's had a fine career, but it's been savaged by injury. And how much impact is he going to have between now and the end of the season? Dale Feu was pretty anonymous in the game. You just wonder where the it's goals. Ismaila Sar was on the bench again, wasn't he? Yeah, He's he came not, on late. Yeah. Clearly not fully fit. And yeah. Fear so, for them a little bit. They are. Uh, one point from safety currently, although all the teams down at the bottom are losing this weekend. So uh, it's still pretty tight. The other game on Sunday saw bottom of the table, Norwich visiting Molyneux, where Wolves did them 3-0, featuring another brace from Diogo Jota, who had that hat-trick in a fantastic performance from Wolves on Thursday night against Espanyol. Jota here, his first goal was, I must admit, my favourite of the, of, of the round as he received the ball from Doherty who spins off his defender and passes it to Jota and then Jota spins off his defender and puts it in the net. All, all very nice. He is in the goals at the moment and Raul Jimenez is now at 21 for the season, wow. which a, a fair proportion of those are in their unfathomably long Europa League campaign. But there's not much rotation. We, we thought that Nuno wanted more players and actually it kind of turned out that he was happy with a small squad right. you know players like Jimenez and Doherty and um, and obviously Neves in midfield the workload they're going through is astonishing um, but you know they seem to have enough and I wouldn't be surprised if they finished in the top six or seven good result this but it was Norwich at home a canary side that didn't feature the footballing talents of Buendia after his manager basically explained before the game I'm not saying this to accuse him, but it is game day 26 and he has not scored a goal. He knows that he needs to improve. He also needs to make more runs beyond the final man. His points per game in the side are the lowest of all our wingers this season. Which is kind of extraordinary because he's he's created a lot of chances. I mean, I think most people felt that he was having a good campaign in difficult circumstances. According to stats, and obviously you can tweet these how you like, but only De Bruyne, Dimitri Payet and Angel Di Maria have created more chances than Buendia in the top five European leagues this season. But beyond any of that, it's kind of strange to hear Daniel Farker calling out one of his players like that. Yeah, it is strange. I mean, I think his his comments about his lack of goal scoring is fair enough. Um, I did an article about a month ago for The Athletic and looked at the players who'd taken the most shots without scoring and tried mm. to work out why. And Buendia, yeah, it's just his shots have been from pretty bad positions rather than going in behind. But Norwich do have players like Cantwell and, of course, Pookie, who do make those runs. The points per game thing strikes me as an extraordinary thing to say publicly. I mean, maybe you might peruse those numbers yourself, but, I mean, it's a relatively small sample size and a side that 
keep on losing games. I mean, you can kind of be quite unlucky and find yourself at the bottom of that list, I would suspect. Mm. Michael, that piece you mentioned in which you effectively tell Premier League footballers how to score goals <laughs> yeah. was actually really useful for Theo Walcott because he, he got a brace, didn't he, or pretty much the next weekend? I think he might have. So there was almost two different categories. There were players mm. who were getting into good positions but missing, right. as Walcott was, and the goals tend to come in that situation. And there was players who were just taking ridiculous shots like Fred. Right. I don't think the goals have come from Fred. <laughs> I mean, he's he's on 40 shots or whatever because he shoots from 40 yards a couple of times a game. Right. How many shots is, say, Christian Benteke on? And did you have any advice for him? He did uh, score last week, it should be said. Yeah, yeah he did. I, I mean, he was one of those who was getting into the positions, but okay. very unconvincing in front of God. My, my favourite bit of that Daniel Farker quote is that he starts it by saying, I'm not trying to accuse him, before then going spending around 45 seconds pretty obviously accusing him. It yeah. seems a, a, an odd tactic of man management. It's when people, like, when people say, no offence, but, yeah, and then yeah. With all castigate due respect, you. But yeah. That's total. But it, yeah. It's, it's not just... The fact that he's he's obviously accused him of something. You, you think Buendia's one of those who's caught the eye and Farker's probably just taken 20% off his resale value in the summer by mm. saying he's not doing what we want him to do and I'm not going to play him. Why well, not just ignore it? Desperate times down the bottom of the table. Who knows what that can do to a manager's mind. Very shortly, we'll be looking back on Saturday's action. Everyone remembers that time you've had that peach of an accumulator looking good only for... Oh, and the keepers let it slip through his legs in the 94th minute. Or the right back has to pull on the gloves and face a penalty. Or Man United have again conceded a late equaliser. But with Paddy Power's Acca Cracker, you get a free bet if one leg of your fourfold plus Acca lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds of 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeCumbleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. So, listener, Saturday was a day for left-backs wearing the number three shirt, scoring bangers in the Premier League. You had Ender Stevens, Patrick Van Arnholt, and at Stamford Bridge, Marcus Alonso. On for Barkley, cleverly moved it on one more for Alonso! What a goal! Alonso against Tottenham again. That was you, Matt. Yeah, it was, yeah. You were commentating on this. You were there, as were the goal twins, uh, Gianluca Vialli and Roberto Mancini. They were, yeah, looking very suave as With well. their friend Bobby Davero. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he was in the row in front. That, <laughs> and, then, and then, Sunday morning, flicked uh. the telly on when I got up, there's Bobby Davro on Celebrity Antiques Road Trip. Been a big weekend for Davos in, in my house. Wow. <laughs> it was a great result for Frank Lampard. Certainly was, yeah. Should have been a bigger mar- margin of victory as well because they were uh, far superior to Spurs for the second time this season. Um, everything that people have criticised Lampard for in recent weeks, he seemed to react to and change. So he went back to three at the back, put well, Giroud in. Like putting Giroud in. Yeah, now yeah. you, you, we, we had a bit of a debate about whether Giroud should be in and you were very much in the no camp before. Have you changed your mind at all, Matt? Um, certainly he's a better option than, than Batshuayi. I think that, that is irrefutable. Um, I, I was more sort of saying that, that Abraham's a much more mobile player than Giroud and I would stand by that, albeit he's not particularly mobile when he's walking around on one ankle. Mm. Um, but Giroud had a real sense of purpose about him in this game and you know the finish the goal that he scored is not a typical Giroud finish by any stretch of the imagination um, wasn't just him you know Ross Barkley hasn't played uh, much this season he came in looked decent as well but 
just that that three at the back system seems to suit Chelsea's players much better from Andreas Christensen who I think has had a poor couple of months in playing in the middle of the back three looked like a different player uh, Kovacic and Mason Mount you know Mason Mount had his best game in probably three months I would suggest and and just having a left-footed player playing on the left side as Alonso did part of the problem Chelsea had on Monday against Man United was every time Azpilicueta got in a decent position he had to cut back onto his right foot to get the ball in by which time United's defence was in position Alonso could get the ball in uh, much easier and and so it, it was a much better performance from Chelsea all round albeit you know they were up against very very meek opposition, which we'll you don't about. expect. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But no, meek Chelsea. Move. Chelsea were excellent in the game. It's it's just a shame that they haven't been able to get this consistency of performance in the last couple of months. Yeah, we know Zhu is not a prolific goal scorer, but the way in which he seems to improve those players behind him. You're just talking about Mount and Barkley. Mount had. He hadn't had a shot on target for five matches. He had a shot on target. He almost scored near post and he was, as you say, far better. Barkley had four shots. That's as many as he's had in his last, I think, five appearances. It's what Eden Hazard said last season. It's You don't notice him because we're playing well because of him. And I, I just think that Lampard now needs to let this experiment run its course, I think. Even if that means that Abraham gets a, a full rest to full fitness... Giroud is not going to score 10 goals between now and May, but he is motivated to get a, a place in, in Deschamps' starting lineup for France. So I kind of think they have to let it run its course. Yeah, and it's, you know, I mean, in fairness to Lampard, he, he has done it. It's taken him a while, but but he's he's gone against what his initial thoughts were and, and, and put Giroud back in there. I mean, it, it's worth pointing out that he hadn't played in the Premier League since November. And I remember that game, it was when Chelsea lost against West Ham at Stamford Bridge and he stunk the place out that day effectively so it's it's not like there's been a great body of work for him this season in a Chelsea shirt to mean that he would be a definite pick it's more been the injuries and inadequacies of others in this position which have which have meant that the calls for him have been growing right. ever louder but if well done to him as well obviously a great professional to come in and, and hit the ground running and you know he, he wasn't his celebration was one of joy and relief rather than hey you should have been picking me in the first place which speaks well to his character it certainly does uh, Matt is Kovacic the new Kante uh, huh. no I don't think so um, <laughs> there are seasons when Kante going out for three weeks yeah. would have been a major issue but did Chelsea even miss him to the, this time <laughs> No, because they're they're not getting 2016-2017 Kante. His his season has been stop-start from the very beginning when, you know, basically goes back to the Europa League final when he played when he was nowhere near fit. And I would almost be tempted to say, let him have the rest of the season off were it not for the fact that he'll probably get in the France squad anyway and then he won't get a proper pre-season and then you get back to the same issue again. But um, Kovacic though? Kovacic much better in this system you know too often when, when they play in a different system he can do what he did last season which is pass it sideways for 65 minutes and get subbed off for Ross Barkley but he's he's much more mobile playing in, in this particular role and, mm. and there were a couple of eyebrows raised when Chelsea bought him in the summer because he didn't shine last season by any means but yeah he's a really high energy player and he's a good quality passer as well so he's, he's he looks a snip at 40 million at the moment do you have a strong view, Michael, on Jorginho? Because some people do. Ant uh, writes in and says, is he the most underrated midfield player in the Premier League? He's, he's pretty much Pat Nevin's favourite footballer currently walking you know, a pitch anywhere. That's good to know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's particularly underrated. I thought this game was interesting because there was a couple of occasions in the first half where Tottenham started relatively quickly and Jorginho lost the ball in silly positions a couple of times. And he has been quite vulnerable to pressing this season. 
I mean, one thing he does magnificently and very consistently was exactly what we saw for the first goal, albeit there were a couple of rebounds, but his ability to get that pass from the right back and just whip a ball around the corner for an onrushing forward. I mean, Giroud's not the quickest, but he can pass so well that even Giroud can be set in behind the defence. So, yeah, I like him a lot. I'm not sure he's the player we saw at Napoli. I mean, at Napoli under Sarri, he was incredibly influential and incredibly dominant in games. Um, but I think he has his uses. I think Chelsea are, are blessed with quite a nice variety of midfielders. I, I'd say Kovacic, Kante, uh, Jorginho, Mount, Barkley all do slightly different things. And I think Lampard has, in general, used that relatively well this season, particularly in big games. Jorginho is the vice captain, which is something that, that has kind of been overlooked. So that tells you about his importance in terms of you watch him move players about on the pitch and he's always given instruction to players. So it's not just about what he's doing when he's got the ball at his feet, but he, he sees the bigger picture of the match unfolding ahead of him in um, a way that's quite important to how Chelsea play. Fair enough. As for Spurs... Uh, ironic that this was the fixture that uh, Jose Mourinho first invented the term parking the bus for all the way back when. So aghast was he in what was his first season at uh, Tottenham's ultra defensive performance playing away at Chelsea. What do you think that young Moo would make of the current Moo in his approach this Saturday? I think he'd say cheer up a bit, mate, you know. It's fine. You don't need to be so miserable. But yeah, it was very strange. From kickoff, you just saw five defenders lined up across the edge of the Tottenham penalty area. And you kind of think, oh, he's going to try something clever here. And this may be something that we haven't spotted. Kicking but no, it touch. was just, yeah, kicking for touch. And, and aiming for nothing up front because for, for reasons known mainly to Jose Mourinho, he left Deli Alley on the bench until it was too late for him to come on and, and, and do much about what happened. Um, Spurs, yeah, they were just limp, unfortunately. He's, he's right to to point out that they don't have Son and Kane who've scored more than half of Spurs Premier League goals this season but you know he's the manager he's very well paid he's one of the most successful managers in the last 20 years of football it's up to him to come up with a solution to get his team to score goals yeah and and what we saw after the game was was more expectation management for Mourinho, which has kind of become his new staple. You know, he said, we are in huge trouble whenever the opposition scores first, which doesn't speak of a tremendous, you know, maybe that's a slight dig at the lack of fight he thinks there is in the squad. Yes, they've lost Kane and Son. Of course they have. But they'd lost Harry Kane for parts of the end of last season. And as Matt says, he he is the third highest paid manager in the world now. There is nothing wrong with him setting up defensively. You know, Michael's written before that he's occasionally kind of miscast as this defensive manager. But if you are going to set up that way, particularly in big games, it kind of has to work eventually. And he's only won one of his last 10 games against big six teams. And that was the one win against City with Tottenham, which came with a fair dollop of good luck. So it's just not really working. And Tottenham have clearly improved under him he is not in big trouble or anything like that. It would be silly to suggest otherwise. But in those big games, he does just seem to be a bit flat. He seems to have lost a bit of the joy. Those were the games that he used to define his managerial tenures by. And he just looks a bit limp in them now. Right. Limp is probably what uh, Azpilicueta will be doing, of course, after his uh, his encounter with Giovanni Lo Celso. A lot of people writing in saying, please don't talk about VAR, uh, which is a big ask on a weekend like this one. Uh, pretty bizarre episode. Uh, Michael, were you following the kind of the way this unfolded? Giovanni Lo Celso basically etches his his studs down uh, Aspilicueta's shin. Uh, Stockley Park review it, decide that there's nothing untoward about it, and then kind of midway through, well, about twenty minutes later, come back and say, you know what, we <laughs> we might have heard there. That's kind of what VAR's for, not to. Get yeah, it wrong. I, I I 
thought it was such an obvious red card. I can't imagine how that's missed. I always, whenever you see an incident like that, I always really try and look for, like, give the player the benefit of the doubt. What might he have been trying to do? Trying to stop Abscuilagosa from falling on top of him, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, that really made an excuse. But uh, yeah, I, th- I thought it was a dreadful tackle and just an obvious red card. Mm. Can't say anything more, I, really. I can't believe they, it, you know, it, maybe we should be praising the honesty, but I can't believe they admitted it. <laughs> because until they admitted it, you kind of thought, well, yeah, I don't agree with that. But some people were saying, well, yeah, but, you know, it's not clear and obvious. They if are they... refs. I mean, they must yeah. know. But then why you didn't, no one was saying, oh, I reckon they've made a mistake here. I reckon they meant. It should have been, and they've just got it wrong. Well, the just thing don't is, say anything. Similar controversy. We may touch on that later in the Turnox wafer. Matt, do you have the official? Oh yeah, the Turnox wafer caramel cup. Thank you. Challenge. Yeah, right. yeah events that spoiled the spoiled the good name of the Turnox wafer <laughs> yeah. caramel. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It, I mean, the thing about the, the apology was it felt like the PGMOL or whoever it is had thought this is going to be a bad weekend for VAR. Mm. So if we make an apology, the focus will be on the specific video assistant referee in this match, David Coote. So we can throw him under the bus. Sorry, he made the mistake. It's not the technology's fault. Well, maybe he did, but you've got a a VAR in David Coote who's refereed 23 Premier League games and an on-field official who refereed his first Premier League game in 2010 and did a Champions League game this week. So surely he should have the seniority to say, you know what, I'm going to go and have a look at this because there's this massive furore about it, right. rather than take the opinion of the junior referee. Take your fingers out your ears now, listeners. Uh, football, uh, Chelsea hosting Bayern Munich on Tuesday. Wow. Imagine going along to that, eh, Daniel? Yeah, I can't wait. Um, I think this is the most intriguing tie of the round. Why? Just because we don't really know what to expect from Lampard's Chelsea in the Champions League. Their group stage was a very odd, bizarre affair in that they they obviously had the 4-4 draw with Ajax, who were then beaten handsomely by Getafe. I just have no idea what to expect because... You know, buying decimated Tottenham, but have been so patchy in the Bundesliga. Well, yeah, they didn't just decimate Tottenham. They actually put together the best group stage in Champions League history. Mm. Six wins from six, a goal difference of plus 19. And yeah, they have had one or two stumbles in the Bundesliga. Oh, more than one or two. Yeah, more than one or two. Um, right. Coutinho has dropped out of the team almost... I know he played at the weekend, but he was taken off after an hour with them not failing to beat Paderborn. So it, it, I just don't really know what to expect from them anymore because I don't think Lampard will push them high and leave them exposed to the counter like Tottenham did under under Pochettino. I don't think that'll happen, especially at home. So I think it'll be really intriguing because we've not really seen a Chelsea under Lampard sit back and try and soak up pressure, really. They've, they've kind of tried to play a bit more proactively. They are top of the Bundesliga at the moment. Yes, so, yes. You know, naturally. There, there is that. A rematch, this, of the 2012 Champions League final, Matt, which you know went well from Chelsea's perspective. Sure did, yeah. What, yeah. what are you most worried about Willy Caballero facing Robert Lewandowski, Philip Congenian, probably not him, but Thomas Muller and Serge Gnabry, etc. What most worries you about this? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure worry is the right word to use, to be honest, because there's not much expectation on Chelsea to get through the tie. And, and you know, as you've pointed out, if, if they don't concede seven at home, then they've, they've done better than Spurs did against them this season. So I could actually see Chelsea winning the first leg narrowly and then going out in the second leg. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, there was a a famous 1-0 or 2-1 at the bridge on Tuesday and then Bayern are too strong for them in Munich in whenever it is three weeks' time. But I don't think there's there's cause for real concern. Chelsea aren't... They're not brilliant defensively, but they're not getting thumped by anybody either. So, yeah, I'm, I'm 
cautiously optimistic. Play this back on Thursday's show. Yeah, can't have seen two <laughs> Wednesday morning. Um, all right, we'll have more uh, previewing of that game with our Bundesliga expert and friend Raphael Honigstein in Totally Football Show, which will be out early doors on Tuesday. Uh, up next, let's talk about Man City, who've got a European fixture of their own. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Wednesday, Man City faced Real Madrid and they warmed up for facing one of the world's most frightening outfits by wearing another of the world's most frightening outfits. Extraordinary <laughs> pink and yellow kind of rhubarb and custard affair in which they visited the King Power on Saturday evening and came home with three points. Michael, you were there to witness this. I was, yeah. First of all, another missed penalty and Pep still not putting Edison on spot kicks. Yeah, four in a row now, four different takers as well. So it's not just one person you can pin the blame on. Although we should say it wasn't missed so much as saved by Kasper Schmeichel, who has, stat fans will like, overtaken his dad now in terms of save penalties in the Premier League. That's his fourth. But anyway, back to Man City getting it wrong. Yeah, we'll increase the calls for uh, Edison to be put on penalty duties. As uh, as a, a lad called Sean replied to me on Twitter yesterday, you know, Guardiola says Edison's the best at penalties in training, but is that not just because he's taking him against Claudio Bravo instead of against Edison? <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a, a very good point. Um, but yeah, overall, I think City were slightly lucky to get the win here. I really? thought they were pretty sloppy first half. Lots of concessions of possession in, in dangerous positions in the early stages. Vardy went through and hit the post. Mm. I thought it was a pretty even game. City probably dominated the final 20 minutes, but it was... Uh, yeah, by no means a foregone conclusion. It was a very end-to-end game. And and a very good... Uh, it was a funny game. It was a very entertaining, contested in a very kind of... It was quite ferocious, but also contested in a good spirit. And I did kind of wonder midway through the second half, what is the importance of this game? Because second versus third feels like it should be very big. Obviously, they're nowhere near to being close to Liverpool. And then you've got this situation now, without even considering City's Champions League ban, where... In days gone by, the difference between second and third was guaranteed Champions League qualification, then third and fourth. Now, the difference between second and fourth doesn't actually matter. So it was a very good, almost exhibition game without too much meaning on it, really. I guess Leicester to finish second would have meant a big deal to them. But yeah, it was it was enjoyable without being overly meaningful, I thought. Mm. They are currently seven points behind Man City after Sergio Aguero was taken off for Gabriel Jesus. Uh, Aguero having uh, failed to convert that penalty, Jesus... Uh, giving City the goal, which uh, uh, earned them the three points. Uh, Duncan Alexander here with the stat about the Premier League record from uh, successive penalties missed. Daniel, do you know this? Yeah, I, well, only because I read Duncan's oh, Twitter right and do so religiously. But yes, it's Arsenal with their first five in the Premier League era. It's remarkable, no? Hmm. Mm. Uh, anyway, uh, City next up will be at the Bernabeu mm. on Wednesday. Arguably the biggest week this of Real Madrid's season. It's got off to a pretty bad start. Uh, previously, they dropped two points against Celta Vigo. They then lost this weekend 1-0 to Levante, which uh, enabled Barcelona to be back on top of the table. And then saw Eden Hazard, who only just come back from three months out with his ankle, uh, to go back out injured again with a, a, a fracture, I think. Is it a hairline oh, fracture? Yeah. Ankles, they, I mean... Well, they're saying he might be out for the season. Yeah, so. but I mean, when ankles go, I don't know about, you know, I know modern technology and medicine and stuff, but I always remember um, 
well, Marco van Basten's slow and painful goodbye with just mm. one ankle injury. I mean, not that I wish to augur anything like that for, <laughs> but it's worrying all the same, isn't it? I mean, he's yeah. barely played for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's had a nightmare first season. He really has. Can I talk about Leicester? For oh, a for minute? sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is no panic because, as Michael says, they're so far ahead that there was very little on the game. But there's 12 points from 11 league games now for Leicester, which, and no goal in eight for Jamie Vardy, which the the lack of Wilfred and Didi in the team is is crippling them really because it means that Tielemans and Madison are dropping, having to drop so much deeper, leaving Vardy isolated. It, it was actually working, as Michael says, first half because they played Ianacho and he was close to Vardy, but obviously he got that hit for Madison, which meant he went off. And second half, they just sort of. Yeah, they just look a bit easy to play against at the moment without Ndidi, which is an odd thing to say about the team in third in the Premier League. But mm. Rodgers, you know, they obviously went out of the EFL Cup. They're obviously still in the FA Cup, but he will want to avert this slump. Good news is they'll be facing Norwich on Friday. <laughs> yeah, very good point. So there's that. All right, well, don't mention the VAR. Very much the message from listeners. Uh, we'll see how we get on with that when we discuss Burnley Bournemouth next. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Bernie 3, Bournemouth 0. But a VAR performance so bad it made even Matt feel sorry for the cherries. (laughs) I I have to say I don't like that, but it was farcical, but I think it probably implemented it as it should have been in that it probably was a handball by the rules, although you can debate that. And once that happens, they do have to bring it back. But it is still... completely alien to me to watch a team score a goal and then two minutes later concede a goal. So in the first half, Josh King scores and puts them a goal up away at Burnley. Bournemouth, of course, who are battling relegation. But it's ruled out for, because it came off his shoulder, but it's ruled a handball. Yeah, that was the, that was the one, really, that was the poor decision rather than the one that was perplexing because it was the likes of which we hadn't seen before because it came off the top of Billing's mm. shoulder, which shouldn't have been given as a handball. So that which, if a referee stood. had made that... Uh, made that call live just with his naked eye. That's one thing. But w- when you've gone over the replays and you decide to correct the referee's decision on the basis of that, I, I find that perplexing. Then in the second half, after Burnley through uh, uh, Vidra uh, do open the scoring, the, the Cherries sweep upfield and get themselves an equaliser, only, as you say, to find the goal ruled out by Varden, the penalty given at the other end. And all of a sudden, instead of it being 1-1, Jay Rodriguez has converted the penalty and it's... Uh, 2-0 and they don't come back from that one no and Eddie Howe said that that was the thing that, that sort of killed his team's ability mentally to, to, to get back into the game that, that moment for them um, yeah you feel for them I mean they, they've got Chelsea at home next weekend and they, and they walloped Chelsea last season 4-0 you remember when Sarri kept the players mm-hmm. in the dressing room for an hour etc but they've still got to go to Liverpool Wolves Man United and Man City Bournemouth so I'm, I'm not changing my prediction but I thought Howe was admirably calm afterwards and I thought what he said was very interesting and probably very true in the sense that the first decision, which we all agree was wrong, probably informed the second decision because, I mean, I didn't think either of them were handballs, but if you're given the first one as handball, right. well, the second one, it was lower down his arm, wasn't it? I thought it was dread. I feel really sorry for the Bournemouth fans. I looked it up on Google, 10 hour round trip that is, and you celebrate two goals and neither of them count. Burnley announced 37 points, which is, Michael, their highest ever points total at this stage of a Premier League campaign, is this the best Burnley we've ever seen? Uh, they feel pretty much like the same Burnley to me, but Burnley. if that's the points total, I'm not going to argue with it. Well, them. maybe it's just a weaker a weaker division than, than we've seen. Well, that, that probably is true. I mean, I think the, the difference is they've got to play in Dwight McNeil, who does things that 
and maybe outside the system, if that makes sense. He's, I mean, a really talented player. Usually he plays on the left and, you know, played a couple of really wonderful crosses in this game, but towards the end of the game was drifting inside from the right and, and showed his shooting ability. And I think that's an interesting debate for someone like McNeil, who, with respect to Bernie, I think probably will move on to bigger and better things. You know, how long do you want to be playing on the left when, if you go to a bigger side, they don't really want that kind of crossing ability in general. He probably will be played on the right. So it was interesting to see his ability from that side as well. He's, he's kind of a, he's almost a, a Jack Grealish light in that he, he likes to run the game and dribble. And you almost wonder that, you know, he is a little bit underrated because he's at Burnley and we have this sort of stereotypical view about their style. You know, you wonder if he was at a club that did play maybe a little bit more attractive football whether we'd be talking about him for an England call-up because he's been brilliant all season he really has he's the youngest Premier League player to reach 10 assists since Raheem Sterling we can't have Burnley getting into Europe by the way I can't have another season of hand-wringing about how Burnley being in Europe affected Burnley's season the next season (laughs) (laughs) two points currently between them and eighth which folks say could lead to the Europa League consequences uh, Bournemouth, meanwhile, down the other end of things, as we mentioned, two points away from the drop. Also in big trouble are Aston Villa, only one point above that dotted line after their 2-0 defeat to Southampton, which contained, Daniel, your moment of the weekend because you like to riff on other people's pain. Yeah, that's very much my thing. Uh, yeah, Pepe Reina went up for uh, a corner in the final minute and was caught an embarrassing distance out of his ground and I just like a player running the ball in um, Jolie and Lescott on, on Gillette Soccer Saturday somehow managed not to get excited by the goal he just said oh they're through oh it's a goal and I thought I watched it on match of the day later and thought sorry I'm plugging every other broadcaster here <laughs> uh, absolutely flabbergasted because it was a, a wonderful goal it was really interesting to see Dean Smith properly lambast his players mm. after the game because he's come across as a bit of a Mr Nice Guy Mr Aston Villa and he basically accused them of, of downing tools and lacking professionalism which is a big shout So he said that some of them had actually played their way out of a next weekend's lineup for the Carabao mm. Cup final Do you think thoughts of the final were what were uppermost in their mind here? No, or? I think all season there has been an abject lack of responsibility in that they, they accept that Jack Grealish would do everything for them and that's led to, a, he's almost become too dominant. It, there was a problem with Chelsea under with Hazard at some points where there was just an assumption that he would do it and it just meant everyone else was 5% off and Villa aren't good enough for that to happen. Saints with 28 shots in this game, Villa just four. Jamie Meredith asks, any chance Stuart Armstrong can get some nuanced Firmino-style love on the pod. He had a patchy first season, but now Ralph is really betting in his 4-2-2-2 system. Armstrong is doing some really great stuff on the inside right position. Anybody? <laughs> He's done the it. job. Yeah. Right, there you go. Nice one, Jamie. Nothing really we can add to your excellent summary of the wonderful Stuart Armstrong. Also in the Premier League this weekend, Palace got their first win of 2020. They beat... Newcastle 1-0 with an absolute stunner from Patrick Van Arnholt. Lewis Bell says instead of talking about how terrible Newcastle are, maybe you could replace it with the three minutes of soft jazz on the pod. Yeah, dark times again for the Magpies. They were good, they were bad, they were good. Where are we now? I don't know if they were ever good. I were think they, not? They, had, they got results that outweighed the performances and now the results are catching up. They are an awful team to watch and a not much better team to support, I imagine. Mm. Who would win in a fight between an actual eagle and an actual magpie? Eagle all day long. Eagle, I, mean. I think. Yeah. How would the yeah. eagle not they, win? There you go. Always get two magpies together, though, so maybe. No, still, you, you could have ten magpies and one eagle. Okay, still I'm, be, I'm, 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 I'm moving on now to Sheffield United <laughs> Brighton. 
Sheffield United Brighton, which contained another of the moments of the weekend, i.e. Chris Wilder, who was jogging to Bramall Lane pre-match. I, I do love footballing people who go to games in unusual uh, manner, whether it's by catching the tube. Attilio Lombardo famously used to ride uh, his scooter. He used to get the Vespa to Marassi when he was playing at Sampdoria. Uh, different times, of course. But yeah, Chris Wilder jogs to Bramall Lane, but got stopped by somebody taking a survey uh, along the way uh, who questioned him about his match day experience. I'd, I'd love to see the results of that. I had my hood up and my... Can you do Chris Wilder, Matt? No. Okay. I had my hood up and my bobble hat on. I don't think he recognised me. It was quite funny when he asked if I'd like to take part in a survey about my experiences in the Premier League, said Chris Wilder. Anyway, uh, also the game finished 1-1 between Sheffield United and Brighton. That was a bit of a surprise, no? Not a very Brighton kind of result to go behind and score from a set piece and, and take something from the game. Not really what you'd expect for them. Big big point, I'd say. And, and mm. you know, great result for the teams in and around, as they say, Sheffield United as well. Neil Mopé ending a run of exactly 11 hours without a Premier League goal uh, with his equaliser here. Uh, Brighton are the only Premier League side yet to win in 2020. Uh, West Ham, by the way, still to play this weekend. They are just inside the bottom three, a point behind Aston Villa, and they are at Anfield this Monday evening. Uh, latest on Jordan Henderson, by the way, after his injury picked up in the first leg against Atletico Madrid. Three weeks, did they say? I think two to three weeks. Right. So likely to miss that delicate return fixture at Anfield. Mm. Crikey. It'll be interesting, I think, to see if we do start seeing any rotation yet from, from Klopp, because until now, he he's bizarrely been the, the Premier League manager who's done the least of it uh, other than Oxley chamberlain coming in a bit but uh, clearly all eyes on the Champions League now so is that bizarre hmm? is it you said bizarrely he's the manager who's done well, the I, least I kind of assumed that with the 20x point lead that he would effectively sacrifice the Premier League for you know he picked that weak team in the FA Cup for different reasons but I thought he would really rotate in the Premier League and he hasn't I just seems to be steaming on as if he just wants to mathematically win it and then maybe bin it off. Mm. Well, it could come soon, of course, uh, the title-winning game. Uh, very shortly, we'll be discussing some of the extraordinary events which happened across the continent this uh, weekend and, and some of the extraordinary events which didn't happen, like the uh, games that got cancelled in Syria because of the coronavirus. We'll also be hearing about the spellbinding top-of-the-table clash in WSL. First of all, though, let's get some odds on things from producer Charlie, who's been speaking to Paddy Power. Good morning, listener. Producer Charlie here. The football does not stop coming. And we've got Lee Price and Paddy Power here to go through it all. Lee, let's start with the Champions League this week. Chelsea taking on Bayern Munich. Will Lampard enjoy another victory over the Bavarians? Mm. Maybe they'd have a better chance Lampard was playing in this one. He still looks in good nick, to be fair. Because we go odds on that Bayern win at Stamford Bridge. And an even shorter price they go through. A Chelsea win would set themselves up for a potentially historic Champions League night in Munich. Have they ever done that before? But we make it 16 to 5 the Blues win on Tuesday, and 3 to 1 they go through. Bayern, meanwhile, were 8 to 11 to win on the night and 2 to 9 to qualify. A draw in the first leg is 11 to 4. On Wednesday, it's Real Madrid against Manchester City. Can City knock out Los Blancos? Well, thank goodness you asked that because I can be more positive about an English team now. Man City are the favourites both to win in Madrid and to progress. And for the first time since their oil fuel takeover, I think the neutrals might be behind them this season's Champions League just for the UEFA lols. Hey, 
I did say might. They're seven to five to win at the Bernabeu, or thirteen to five to take Real home on level terms, while the hosts are seventeen to ten to take an advantage into the second leg. Madrid are twenty nine twenty to go through. City are eight to fifteen. And staying with City, their penalty problems continue. So, what are the odds on Edison actually scoring this season? Pep, the Premier League's gone, mate. You've got nothing to lose. Stick Edison on penalties and free kicks while you're at it. It's what the country wants. Seriously, you're going to leave in the summer anyway. Somehow, sadly, I don't think it's going to happen. But the odds don't make it an impossibility. Edison is 4-1 to one to score this season. Presumably, if he does, it'd be from a spot kick. It's 6-1, to one, though, that he takes City's next penalty. Boo hiss. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, stop actually is what happened to four matches in City A this weekend, plus some others in uh, lower divisions of the Italian football structure uh, over fears uh, about the worst outbreak of coronavirus yet recorded in Europe, which is currently besetting uh, Italy. They've had over 100 people infected, two fatalities so far and all sorts of public events have got banned uh, some schools have been shut universities as well uh, it's it's basically being taken extremely seriously in in Italy but I think it caught a lot of people by surprise when uh, uh, almost a half of the the weekend's uh, fixtures in in the top flight were were shut down because they're near the kind of hot spots of, of, of where people have uh, come down with this uh, unfortunately uh, in games that did take place Cristiano Ronaldo marked his 1000th game in professional football by scoring in his 11th successive Serie A fixture for Juventus. With the coronavirus in Italy, is, does that mean their Europe, Inter's Europa League game is going to be off? It's or? a really good question because that, that was one of the fixtures that was called off from the Serie A a round of matches against Sampdoria and they are at home to Ludogorets this Thursday after their... 2-0 away, two, Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, two, uh, I have no idea. Mm. I mean, this situation is clearly evolving. Oh, obviously, a really serious situation, and this is going to sound really flippant, but there is a goal show, by the way, on, on Thursday <laughs> for the games that do take place. So uh, we'll be on, I think, from 8 o'clock, goals as they happen on BT Sport Uno. Elsewhere, Erling Haaland got his 40th goal of the season. I'm sorry, what? 40th goal of the season. Dortmund winning 2-0 at Werder Bremen. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Uh, we had a big Erling Haaland kind of cooing and ooing and ahhing. Uh, anything you want to say about it? I, for example, posited that were I to be a Petrostate uh, assembling a team with nefarious sponsorships, I would get Haaland over Mbappé. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of wise people said, no, they go Mbappé. Where do you stand on this, Michael, Daniel, Matt? Probably go Mbappé. Really? Just, I mean, I think he's a little bit more of an all-rounder. but I... Haaland's clearly going to be the best footballer ever. I mean, he's very good. You're right. Yeah, He's either going to be absolutely sensational or he's going to tail off and in two years we're going to be going do you remember that ridiculous season when he scored 40 <laughs> goals but no I mean he looks machine like literally runs like Terminator so right yeah. um, but I thought well performance of the weekend or the story in the weekend wasn't him it was RB Leipzig again winning 5-0 away at David Schalke. Wagner's Schalke yeah. um, they look on the back of the the win at Spurs, they they really do look like title challengers. They're playing better than Bayern at the moment. Or was the story of the weekend Leo Messi, who was coming off his worst goal drought for what was it six years? He hadn't scored in four matches, and he went and got four in one game. Brilliant! I think it was actually five matches that he hadn't scored in. So he went and got four in one go in a five nil win over A Bar. And hey, how about this? Doubters, Martin Braithwaite did play for Barcelona and he assisted on one of those goals. So. 
Mm. Mm. Anyway, oh, we'll hear more about all of that in the Totally Football Show Tuesday edition, which is all about Europe and is up very early on Tuesdays. Excellent. Sunday saw a huge game in the WSL, AMAT. Oh, my goodness me, yeah. Leaders I... Man City taking on the unbeaten Chelsea. Where do you start with this one? Well, I don't know. I, I commentated on the game and, and um, it was absolutely exhausting. So Michael really wanted to see it, but... Uh, they didn't show it in the Arsenal press box and to add insult to injury, they put rugby on instead, Michael. Yeah, I did ask. I mean, it's a room full of football journalists, you know, you should be watching the football and not the rugby. Right, what did he miss? Uh, he missed a lot. So there was a point between the two teams ahead of kickoff, but Chelsea got a game in hand. So so if they avoided defeat, they would have the uh, the title in their hands, essentially. You know, if they won the remainder of their games, they would be be champions. And um, they went behind sort of against the runner play midway through the first half. Ellen White, who used to play for Chelsea, scored for City. Uh, but Ji So Young, with what looked like a brilliant goal in one of those, then ah, you see the replay actually got a bit of a deflection. Equalised just she before half time. Yeah, yeah, quite. Yeah. Um, she always scores away to Man City um, and did here. City went 2-1 up in the second half. Um, Georgia Stanway on the hour, but then Chelsea equalised uh, shortly afterwards through the captain Magda Eriksson. But it was interesting because it was a really bad fumble by the City goalkeeper Ellie Roebuck. It was quite a tame header from close in and she let it through a grasp and into the net. Minutes before, she'd had lengthy treatment for uh, an eye injury. And so you wondered if she should have still been on the pitch and and the evidence there would would suggest that um, she shouldn't have. So that was... 2-2. 2-2. Um, City then got a penalty, which Georgia Stanway had saved by Anne-Catherine Berger. wasn't a great penalty. Beth England went up the other end and scored the goal of the game. Absolutely brilliant. Almost 30-yard unstoppable uh, for Roebuck this time, only for Lauren Hemp to equalise two minutes after that. We had 13 minutes of stoppage time. Roebuck got an injury during that period, had to be subbed off, looked pretty serious. She'd been named in Phil Neville's squad for the She Believes Cup. I would think it would be highly unlikely that she'll be able to play in that, unfortunately for her, because she's had an excellent season, young goalkeeper, only 20. Um, but yeah, very much advantage Chelsea. They might be a bit frustrated that, that they did eventually get the lead and weren't able to hold on to it. Mm. But it was such a fun game. Emma Hayes had spoken pretty much about, oh, it's always a chess match when you play Man City. It's very tight, very tactical. You know, could well be a low scoring draw. And it was anything but, and I feel bad for Michael and Daniel that they didn't get to see much of it. I mean, I hope a lot of people did because obviously we only got the one Premier League game broadcast Mm. in the UK this weekend. This match was on BT Sport and and anybody who made the decision to tune in will have thoroughly enjoyed it. The big question is whether Ellie Roebuck should be taking penalties as a goalkeeper (laughs) if Man City (laughs) ladies cannot finish their penalties. Quite fair. Uh, There'll be more WSL chat in, of course, the offside rule WSL edition, which is up late Monday by my reckoning. It's a busy week of podcasts, hey, at uh, Muddy Knees. There's that, there's the Tuesday show. Wednesday, it's the Football League show, Totally Football League, uh, which will be discussing all the events in the Championship and uh, Leagues 1 and 2. One game quickly to mention, just because you guys are here. Nottingham Forest, who only managed a goalless draw with QPR, but there was an early goal disallowed. Why? Yeah, this is... I mean, it was like a real-life you are the ref. And fair play, because the referee did get it right, although Forest fans were moaning about it. So there was a corner, and the corner was delivered in, and Joe Warrell scored the header and celebrated, and then it turned out 
that the linesman had, had contacted the referee to say that the wind had slightly blown the ball just before it was kicked and delivered into the box. So it was actually moving because when it was that kicked. ball was moving when it was kicked. The goal was disallowed. and The corner was retaken. And is that, that's actually right? That is, is it, the even rule. It's the wind. That is the rule. I mean, so, some people thought that if it's in the quadrant, it's a dead ball, and it should be. But yeah, if it's moving, then they should retake it. But I mean, it was. I'm amazed that the assistant referee spotted it because it was it was a minute movement. Yeah, it's one um, of those where you think actually the officials have done really well unless you support Forrest. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. the broader issue is that Forrest shouldn't be needing that to get past QPR at home if they're serious about getting promoted. They should have found another way to win the game. Fair enough. That Scottish thing, by the way, you may have seen this story. It wasn't VAR, but it has certain parallels. Basically, this was a, a game in the Challenge Cup uh, Matt, to give it its full name. The Tunnock's Caramel Wafer Challenge Cup. Bingo. Takes the biscuit. Uh, James Keatings of Inverness was shown a second yellow card for simulation in this game, which means that he will miss the final. Uh, the decision went to a review panel and it wasn't overturned. But then subsequently, the Scottish FA admitted that one of the panel didn't, uh, in their words, undertake their obligations with respect to the consideration of all the available evidence. In Is other words... David <laughs> He basically, yeah, he just said he couldn't basically, be bothered to watch the video. Right. I don't know if they actually, if that's a direct quote, but that's the assumption. Mm. As a result of which, what has now happened? Well, Is, can he play the final? Well, they, they're now investigating the fact that they didn't bother to watch the video evidence before making their decision. Huh. The the accusation is that they went, oh, well, don't worry about it. We won't watch it. Just leave it. And then the club somehow got wind of this and have now asked for a full investigation because they want to know, quite rightly, are there yeah. any other decisions that they maybe didn't bother to watch when well, appeals were made? Doesn't it? Hmm. Mm, all right. Anyway, Thursday then, uh, be another Totally Football show with Duncan, uh, Julian, uh, Raphael and Horncastle, apparently. Sounds like a very... Uh, Sounds like a house party. Yeah. All right. Well, have a listen anyway. See who turns up for that one. I plan to be there. And hopefully you will be too, listener. For now, it's many, many thanks to Matt Davis-Adams. Thanks, James. To Daniel Story. Thank you. And to Michael Cox. Thanks. And you, listener. Have yourself a great week. Do enjoy our podcast in the meanwhile. And I'll catch up with you, well, on Tuesday. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Muddy Knees Media.